Pretend that your big event happened or that your product launched and everything went wrong. What were the things that just totally blew up on you? So I did this for our book launch and I'm like, all right, closing my eyes and visualizing, we launch peak performance and everything goes to shit. And there was one glaring thought that I had, which is the Twitter servers crashed that week. So let's say, I don't know, combined maybe the 20, 25,000 people that we could reach, they were all on Twitter. Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, joined as always by my good friend and colleague, Brad Stolberg. Brad, what's going on, my man? Not so much, Steve. Looking forward to recording our episode today. We are going to do some inside baseball, behind the scenes, how Steve and I think about distribution of our ideas and what that means in a changing media environment. But before we dive into that, a quick reminder that this podcast is 100% independent and member-supported. That means that there are two ways to continue learning and to support our work. The first is to make sure that if you haven't yet, you read or you listen to our books. The Practice of Groundedness by me, Brad Stahlberg, and Do Hard Things by Steve. Both books are available wherever you pick up books. And if you prefer to listen, you can get them on Audible, Libro, and just about every other app that allows you to download books. The second way to support us is to join our Patreon community. That's at www.patreon.com backslash the growth equation. For as little as the cup of coffee a month, y'all can get early access to our podcast, exclusive guides to sustainable training, resilience, and performance, and perhaps most special discounts on our merch and access to our monthly book club where we meet live to discuss books that we're reading with the authors of those books themselves. So support us on Patreon. Again, that's www.patreon.com backslash the growth equation and grab our books, The Practice of Groundedness and Do Hard Things. With that, let's dive in. All right. So this episode is going to be inside baseball. So this is a little bit of how Brad and I think about media, strategy, social media, all sorts of good stuff. And I want to set the stage first. So right now when we're recording this, I have no idea when we're launching it, but when we're recording it. It's Halloween, y'all. Halloween right now. Elon Musk has taken over Twitter and bought it and is starting to throw, I'll say, stuff at the wall on what might change and who might be fired and how Twitter might, you know, evolve and all this stuff. So there's a lot of uncertainty here. But to get us started, I want to take this conversation all the way back to our first book, I think it was, before our first book, where Brad and I had met on Twitter. We'd developed a friendship through Twitter. And we've developed a platform to hopefully sell our book through Twitter. We and, were quite dependent on Twitter. And Brad, the one who is always kind of afraid that the world is going to end, I'll say, pretty astutely in this sense, said, hey, what happens if Twitter just blows up and is no longer a thing? Disintegrates. And in that moment... 
we had we did this almost um pre-mortem pre-mortem i'm gonna put the words in your mouth because i distinctly remember i had just recently read dan kahneman's thinking fast and slow where he talks about this idea of the pre-mortem which is like pretend that your big event happened or that your product launched and everything went wrong and then look back and say well what were the things that just totally blew up on you so i did this for our book launch and i'm like all right closing my eyes and visualizing we launch peak performance and everything goes to shit and there was one glaring thought that i had which is the twitter servers crashed that week our entire following our entire platform at the time it was much much smaller than it was today but it was enough to get us a book deal so let's say i don't know combined maybe the 20 25000 people that we could reach they were all on twitter this is about 6 months before the book came out so i call steve i'm like i have it i have our premortem unlock we need to have a way to reach people that's not twitter because what if twitter crashes and steve the optimist is like twitter's not going to crash i'm like you never know so then we started our newsletter and that really is what gave birth to the growth equation newsletter it has evolved so much now we're at the point where we're turning down tons of paid opportunities to write more so that we can write the newsletter so currently it's a high quality thing that we both care really deeply about but if i'm being totally honest 7 years ago it was simply like what if twitter crashes well we better have another way to reach people so let's figure out what to put in a newsletter Yeah, I I love that story because that is how the origin of it and if you've been around since the beginning, first off, thank you. If you haven't, check it out because they were bad 7 years were, ago. They were they were just, you know, we both wrote something very short in the same newsletter every week. We're going to reminisce here. And our quality just sucked because it was it was almost kind of like extending twitter to a degree where we just said okay what what can i write a, a, about and put a thought out because even back then our twitter wasn't that sophisticated either so it was like just throw an idea out there so that's what the newsletter was was like a short you know a couple paragraph thing on throw the idea out there until it got to its evolved to its current place which is hopefully curated sophisticated thought through ideas and solutions to problems but back then it was just that i didn't I, even i didn't even edit your post back then you no. just you ship that stuff man did you even finish your post before you sent them out probably not but you know <laughs> i'll tell you this is i probably didn't but the ones that go viral are the ones that you don't finish that are just pure angry um anyway that's that's a lesson especially back then it was just the rants that was what what did it back then the rants but we've hopefully evolved from the ranting to a more sophisticated piece but why i love that story is you know for years peak performance passion paradox you know groundedness do hard things twitter never went away we just kept building but now we're at this this kind of point where the social media landscape is starting to change and it's not just twitter like instagram is having its own moment of panic how do we know this because they're trying to like pay influencers to post things so that they can be a little more like tiktok and capture you know tiktoks kind of stuff through their reels facebook meta whatever you want to call it their stock market their stock price is crashing crumbling because they've gone kind of all in on the meta, quote unquote metaverse whatever whatever that is and and tiktok might be thriving especially in younger generation but 
there's a lot of talk and, and kick around of ideas of, hey, is it good to have the most expansive social media platform in the world for the U.S. be owned by China? So we've got this changing, and of course, what we've seen in Twitter. So we've got this changing social media landscape. So with that backdrop, we thought it would be good a good idea to have this conversation on how we think about essentially getting our ideas out there. Um, because, you know, we can have the best ideas, we can write the best articles, we can write the best tweets or threads or what have you. But if they don't reach an audience, then they don't have an impact and what we're all about here at the growth equation is having an impact on people. So I think that the guiding principle or the guiding person for me on this is someone who I certainly don't always agree with, but whom I respect a lot. And that is Sam Harris. And Sam Harris talks about becoming uncancelable. And what he means by that is he wants to be able to occasionally make a mistake in public and not lose his entire platform because of that. And when I hear uncancelable, I also think about, I don't want a platform to cancel me simply because the platform goes out of business. You can do everything right and never upset anyone. Well, good luck with that. And even then, if Twitter goes out of business, then guess what? You're canceled. You're off of Twitter. You can't reach your audience. So... I heard Sam Harris say this a long time ago, and it really stuck with me, which is how can you build a platform and an audience that you own in the sense, obviously you don't own these people, but in the sense you own the distribution channel to reach them. And right now there are two ways to do that. The purest is email, because for us to lose email, like email would have to go away. <laughs> which seems unlikely. And you think about the evolution of just the, the postal system that was around for, for over a hundred years. At some point, I'm positive email will go away, but probably not in our peak career time. And then the second vehicle is probably this podcast, right? There are many podcast platforms. They'd all have to go out of business. And, um, or Steve and I would have to be like total assholes and hateful and say stuff that gets our content removed, which if we do that, then we ought to be removed. And we've got bigger problems if we're saying stuff like that. But it's not the social media platforms because our over 180,000 or 175,000, whatever it is, Twitter followers combined, if Elon Musk burns Twitter to the ground, that's useless. Our Instagram growth if Meta decides that they're going to allow Kanye West and Kyrie Irving to trend all the time and people get sick on, of going on Meta or they're paying Steve $1,000 to post an NBA basketball reel and people get sick of that, well, then it doesn't matter how many followers we have. If none of them are logging in, we're not going to reach them. Facebook, screw that. That's kind of our, our broad approach to Facebook. Sorry if you're out there listening like Uncle Michael and Auntie Marsha, but I'm off of Facebook. Um, and what does that leave us? So it leaves TikTok. M my thinking on TikTok isn't so much the fear of like, you know, TikTok being regulated. Although I heard a really interesting case, Steve and, and company, which is that let's say that in the midterm elections, which when this comes out might've already happened. So if it's split, right, if it's, a you know, assuming that the Republicans win either the House or the Senate, which isn't a given, but most models project that they'll take at least one, 
you'll have some kind of split, right, with a, a Democrat executive office. And I've heard that like the one thing that maybe can bring people from across the aisle together in the current environment is banning TikTok. <laughs> so, but even if TikTok's not banned, I, I can't stand the idea of TikTok. TikTok is like, how do we take Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook and make it even more of a superficial soundbite? I tried to go on TikTok. I have zero interest in going on TikTok. So then what does that leave us with? It leaves us with our newsletter and this podcast. So that's how I think about it. The other interesting things, then I'll get off my rocker with Twitter in particular. It's the platform that we both like most. And we like it most because we find that if you curate your experience by blocking assholes, never looking at the trending topics section, or even better, changing the language to Kazakh or some other non-phonetic language that you can't understand, um, Twitter can actually be like a really good use case to find ideas, to connect with people, to read interesting things, certainly to share our work. My guess is many of you listeners came through us to Twitter, and that's great. My fear with Twitter is that they're not a profitable company right now. It's not very conducive to advertising, just how quickly people scroll, how anyone in their sister sees a sponsored tweet and then kind of just knows to disregard it. That's not what advertisers want. If Twitter becomes a subscription service, well, then it has to be good enough to warrant people paying to use it. And the only way that's going to happen is with really good content moderation. Well, guess what? Really good content moderation is super expensive to do. So then you get into this loop where it's not profitable again. So I hope that Elon Musk makes Twitter better because right now I think Twitter is barely good enough. It's good enough for me and Steve. Societally, I think it's probably a net negative. I think that there's an equal, if not greater likelihood that Elon Musk just burns Twitter to the ground. So with all of that said, my focus, our focus is on having people listen to this podcast and subscribe to our newsletter. Why? Because A, it gives us more than 280 characters, so we can truly dive into ideas and nuance. B, we control it. So we have to go out of business for this to go out of business. And C, in alignment with the nuance, we're not limited to a format. They're not asking me, like my recent post, or depending on when this goes up, it'll have been maybe a week or two ago on, um, the paradox of freedom and like negative freedom and positive freedom and wanting to be an individual and wanting to belong. I can't do that. If I'm a really good writer, maybe I can do that in 600 words. I'm a pretty good writer. So I do it in 700. I can't do that in 280 characters or a 30 second reel with like shake your booty music in the background, nor do I want to. So the way that I like to think about this stuff is yes, use the platforms, grow them. They can be good. Hopefully they'll be better but really start preparing for them to go away or at least go away in their current form or not have a big impact. Because if Twitter becomes just a cesspool of conspiracy theories, no one's going to go on Twitter. And the people that are into those conspiracy theories, A, I don't think they want to read our books. And B, I don't really give a shit if they don't want to read our books because they're assholes. All right, Brad ranting. Um, so a couple things there. So first, um, I, I guess that means you don't think our, our good friend Cal Newport's A World Without Email is coming soon. So dis disappointing on that end. But, you know, that's all right. And it would be a tough pull. The second thing that I think is interesting there that you, you talked about and I think is really 
you know, when I look at the social media platforms on here and our use of them, is like being very intentional on why you're using it and how are you using it. So even if you look at, for instance, Brad and I's new foray into Instagram, we kind of use it in the way that writers would, which is a lot more of like writing message, like picture with the message versus like the reels slash TikTok style. Now, every once in a while, there's one in there, but it's more of like, hey, let's, let's let's do this in a in a written way and and get a message across in that way. And the second thing, the other thing that I think is really important here is not only being intentional on how we want to use it to craft our message to get things across, but also like how you know, to me our use of social media is not only about the platform and meeting people where they are, but also making sure it's not making our lives miserable. And I think this is where we get at at TikTok. So for example, Brad and myself had about a week, you know, a week where we said, we're going to post on TikTok. And I remember Brad, like I posted a couple things first because it was like, oh, the launch should do hard things, so I might as well do it. And then Brad got excited about it for about a week. And after about a week, I remember having this conversation where he's like, this sucks. Like this, this makes, this is like crazy because and I had a post too great. Yeah. I'd have to like reget the app and tell you what the post was that, um, that did really well. Let me see if it'll, now it's not letting me look, but I had a post too great. And you know what? It was probably like, I probably said something like, don't be the best, be the best at getting better. Which is great, but then like I probably put it to Kanye music before fucking Kanye went off the rails. So I'm sure now the post is taken off the platform anyways. But that's the problem. We're amusing ourselves to death on these platforms. <laughs> so that is. So I'm not trying to discount anybody who uses any of those things, but I think it's very it's it's very important to like be authentic to who you are and what you're trying to do in the world. And then the other thing that I'd ask, Brad, so we go through this. Okay, this is why we expanded to the newsletter. This is how we kind of utilize this this platform. Is I would challenge listeners to think about, you know, if you're not a producer of content like Brad and I, then think about it as how are you trying to consume content in a better way? And maybe for you, TikTok is great. Maybe you get some sort of joy out of that. Maybe like Instagram or Twitter gets joy out of it. But what I would say is that, a lot of times when you're the consumer of the content, um, when we passively consume it, it makes us miserable. So the people I, who I've seen use either Instagram or Twitter well are really good at using the regulatory features of it. So on Twitter, like blocking regularly people or muting certain words. Why? Because that creates an environment that is more productive and powerful for them. Versus the kind of cesspool where you you scroll on it and you're like, oh, I feel kind of disgusting and miserable after. But I'm going to challenge you, Brad, on on one other thing. So years ago, you did a pre-mortem and it's like, okay, we've got to start a newsletter. Now that we're, you know, getting in our, our late 30s and the technology is passing us by, like what... How would you, how do you see the future, let's say five, 10 years from now, where maybe Twitter's gone away? Maybe we go more and more on social towards amusing ourselves to death. 
like what role does as the social media platforms have in in that regard? You know, I want you to move to Asheville, as you know. You may or may not share this with your partner Hillary. Hillary, if you're listening, I want you to move to Asheville too. She's not listening. Sorry. In a in a big part of the reason for that is, um, I think that as we get older. I may not want to keep up with the technology. I'm going to want to do more and more stuff in community and in person and hold small community events and um, so on and so forth. In a dream utopia world, we use the crap out of these platforms for the next 10 10 words. For the next 10 years, we write good words. We write good books. And the combination of those make us relevant enough where when the platforms kind of die off or the technology evolves and we don't want the new technologies, our books sell themselves. Like, you know who's not on Twitter all day? Malcolm Gladwell or Brene Brown. Mm. So I think really the ultimate goal is to to get to that much recognition around our writing that when we put out a book, it's just going to find its way to people regardless. We're not there yet. We have to grit. We have to grind. Anyone that has listened to our Launch Week podcast knows that like, it's not so romantic. We work really hard to sell our books and there's good upward trajectory. And if we keep improving the quality of our thinking and our writing, hopefully our books will sell themselves. We'll be less reliant on social media. And then how do you connect with community? I'd like to do more events, more workshops, more things in person. Mm. So bringing the online community offline better. And I think that's what, what's going to happen because the pendulum swings, you know, it used to be all about the the community and now we're like peak, peak online. And another reason that, that some of the platforms aren't doing as well, um, the younger generation, they look at their parents on addicted to their phones all day and they're like, we don't really want this. However, the counter argument is TikTok is crushing it. So are they really doing that or are they just on an even more superficial platform? And I don't know enough about the data and I'm sure there's tons of nuance in there. Um, but yeah, I just, I think that we talked about this offline the other day. I, I called you while I was walking Ananda in, in the forest. Um, I think that this is just what happens. Like AOL, you had the assholes that came into your <laughs> chat room and like tried to fish you, Right. Message boards, Let's Run has become a cesspool and what was once a serious, like where Malcolm Gladwell used to be running website. So let, let, let me stop there. So for the listeners who don't know Let's Run, it's this message board on about uh, running. And if we went back to, let's say, I don't know, 2002, 2003, you had like legitimate world-class coaches and athletes posting like stuff you couldn't find anywhere else. Like think of, you know, the, 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 the version of El- Elliot Kipchoge, the best marathoner in the world in 2003, whoever that was, maybe Bekele, whoever, um, their training would have a discussion in those years based on like high level stuff. And now it's turned into a cesspool. And I think what you're getting at there and, and, you know, we've had this conversation offline is that, it's a human being online problem that hasn't been solved. So whether we go all the way back to AOL Instant Messenger, whether we go to message board, whether we go to comment sections on on newspapers or blogs, you know, in the early 2000s, all eventually turn into a cesspool of, you know, just shittiness, honestly. So how do we solve that problem? The other thing that I think is interesting here is... 
like what you're getting at is TikTok is I don't think, you know, young kids, teens, whatever, see their parents and think like, oh, like the phone is bad or online news is bad. I think what they do is the same thing that it's it's like whatever is used by the older generation, their parents or whoever becomes like very uncool. So just how earlier on you said Facebook was like, sorry, aunt, uncle, whoever, like I'm not on Facebook. That's because like, no offense, like Facebook demographic is much older. And now that's becoming like Twitter for this generation. And then it'll become Instagram and then it'll become TikTok and then whatever replaces. Like, it's just kind of the natural evolution. And I think what we're getting at in this is, do you want to play that game or how do you want to play that game as a both a producer of content and a consumer of content? Yeah, I think so. And I think that for you all that are listening that are content creators in one way or another, obviously this is relevant. But I think to Steve's second point, even if you don't create content out there on the internet or even in real life that you're marketing on the internet, I think it's about well, where and how do you consume content? I also, the, the kind of sacred cow that we haven't touched yet is books. Because for me, that's the ultimate place I consume content is through books. So I actually don't do that much reading on the internet. I have a couple newsletters that I try to read, and then I'll go to a couple big news sites. But I really get 99% of my content, quote unquote, if it's just like, you know, sentences read or words read um, through books. And a big part of that is because the way that my brain works, like I'm just highly distractible. And if I'm reading a book, there are no distractions. That's a good point. Problem is, last I looked, book reading in the the U.S. was something like, I don't know, pretty dang low. <laughs> but I think that book book reading, my guess is, will will stay a thing, and there'll always be niches for yeah. it. Yeah. Does it matter for like the health of our country if only you know five percent of people have the attention span to read more than one book a year? Yes. Does it matter for book sales? No, because 5% of the country is like 18 million people. That's a ton of books. Here's what I would say is this, and you've heard this before, and you know maybe one day we'll expand on it. I kind of look at society like a big high school. But if you think of a high school, you know, my graduating class, you know, was, uh, I don't know, five, 600, something like that. So we think of a relatively large high school. Well, what we've got is we've got, you know, some people who are at the top of the top, the top five, 10% who are just like academics, 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 right? They're the people in the, the honors classes or what have you. Then you have some people who are all sport, like going all in on football or cross country or what have you. And you've got different people at different levels. Well, the way I kind of look at it is if you look at, think of society like high school, well, there is a proportion of people who are like going to drop out or fail or what have you. And those maybe are the people who have no time to read books or what have you. And then the other part of this, and there's going to be the other part of this that I think is, is interesting, and I'm probably not explaining this exactly clearly, but is what often happens is in, in high school, we get segmented off into our little groups or classes or cliques or what have you. And then we, we wouldn't understand someone who's having a completely different high school experience than us. 
So all the kids in the honors classes had like some expectation of, oh, all that matters in the world is going to college, blah, blah, blah. And all these kids over here in whatever classes, like maybe they don't, they can't even see college as a thing or are seeing like, you know, apprenticeships or shop class or whatever it is. And like those worlds very rarely interact except for this. I think sports in high school are so valuable because it takes different groups, classes, races, other people, and just intermixes the hell out of them. hundred percent. Particularly track and field. Sorry. No, that's not true. All the sports do that. But, but I think all sports do that. So it forces you to come together and have something common that you share, a goal that is common that you share, and like this thing that you can all relate to. And I should expand this beyond sports, like there's other activities, what have you. But maybe tying this into the conversation that we have or that we're having in social media is one of the things that I think social media has has kind of replaced and that we need to find back is that we no longer have that sport club activity thing that ties people together that allows people of different areas and backgrounds and whatever have you to come together. All right, so there you go. This is Inside Inside Baseball. If you're still listening to us, you know, God bless you. Until next time, everybody, send us some emails. Give us some feedback. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate you guys sticking with us.